and I've got a couple of sort of guidance notes as to which verses we're skipping to, so hopefully I will be able to guide you through as we skip through various bits of chapter 4 and chapter 5. So you'll be able to find Daniel chapter 4, I think, on page 887 on the Bibles if you want to follow along. And we're starting at verse number 4. So chapter 4 and verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. And then moving to chapter 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And then verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. 
As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. No one could interpret the words, so Daniel was brought before the king. And moving on to verse 18, Daniel said, Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself that you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Ali deserves a round of applause. Great. Well, it's good to be back with you. Um, and um, yeah, so I didn't see the show of hands. Who was here last week, but out of interest in heard about chapter two? Oh, great. That's really fun. Um, so for the rest of you, first of all, welcome. And um, just to catch you up, we are looking at the book of Daniel over these four weeks. And uh, Daniel is a great character to study because Daniel finds himself uh, an exile in Babylon, and that may not immediately connect with your situation, but the thing that is helpful is he finds himself trying to live out his faith uh, amongst, you know, with a boss and with neighbors and, uh, you know, in institutions that don't share his faith. And in fact, uh, quite the opposite, make it pretty hard to live out his faith. And over these weeks, we've been looking at the book of Daniel from that angle. How can we learn to, to live faithfully in a faithless society. And we're drawing four lessons from the book of Daniel, from the character of Daniel uh, over that time. And the first one, which we looked at in chapter one, the first thing that Daniel does when he begins his career, uh, literally, is he decides in his own heart where his allegiance lies. He decides in his own heart who his king is. The second lesson we learned from chapter two was that we see Daniel making space for God to be at work around him. Uh, we talked about God, uh, him making space for God to be the hero in the story. And this week, looking at chapters four and five, we're going to focus on being willing to be heralds of God's kingdom, being willing to speak out about God's kingdom. So let me just pray for us 
before we get going. Lord, once again, we thank you for these opportunities on Tuesday evenings to gather together and to learn from your word and particularly from uh, your friend, Daniel. And we pray that you would speak to each one of us tonight, not just learning, but something for us, that you are speaking to us tonight. Amen. Great. Um, it's a bit wobbly, this. Oh, well, I'll get over it. Um, so last week, uh, if you were with us last week, we looked at chapter 2. or Maybe you've read chapter 2 of Daniel before. Uh, you will notice as we were reading chapters 4 and 5 that there are quite a lot of similarities between that story. Uh, so in chapter 4, it begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the same king as last time, whom uh, Daniel is serving. Nebuchadnezzar has another bizarre and confusing dream. And then when we move on to chapter 5, it's not quite a dream, but it's very similar. Uh, Belshazzar, his son, uh, has this extraordinary event of uh, a hand appearing and writing on the wall. But once again, he doesn't know what it means. And in both cases, just as in chapter 2, all the astrologers, magicians, everyone else who's supposed to be able to interpret these things, they also can't uh, tell what it says. So we might sort of be thinking, oh, here we go again. Does, not, does, you know, does the book of Daniel only have one plot line? Is this, are we just going to go through this several times again? Well, although the stories are very similar, actually, if we slow down enough, uh, I would suggest to us that the focus of these chapters, four and five, is in a very, very different place to where it is in chapter two. The flavor, if you like, is really, really different. In chapter two, the focus is very much on Daniel's interpretive gift. That's what really gets everyone. That's the big wow. Like, okay, there's this dream, and then Daniel can tell people what what it is, and no one else expected it to be possible. No one expected that, 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 that anyone could understand this, and at the end, it's like, wow, Daniel, your God speaks, your God is, is amazing. In chapters four and five, the, the focus is not so much on, on Daniel's interpreted gift. In fact, it's almost a given. You know, in fact, it's just like, oh, well, no one else can understand the dream. Where's Daniel? <laughs> no one else can read the weird writing on the wall. Where's Daniel? It's kind of like, they know, he, you know, spirit of the gods are in him. And the, and the, the, the focus moves, the shift the center of gravity moves from the interpretation, the miracle, to the message, to, 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 to this one fact. The center of these two stories, chapter four and five, is really that God speaks to these kings through Daniel. God speaks to these two kings through Daniel. And that's what I want us to look at tonight, speaking on behalf of the king to kings. Um, Rupert likes to tell a story, maybe you've heard it before, um, about, uh, I think it's one of his friends, I need to ask him, but he's not here so he can't tell me I'm wrong, but I think it's one of his friends who had been working for um, a company for many, many years, uh, uh, not as a Christian, and then um, he became a Christian, uh, still working at this, this company, and so he decided shortly after that that he was going to uh, tell his office that he had become a Christian. And so he, he picks a day and he you know, goes in and he sort of tells, his, tells everyone in his team, yeah, okay, so I've become a Christian. And you know, that's great. And then at the end of the day, uh, one, of the, one of the guys in his office comes up uh, to him and sort of like sidles up and says, oh, it's just, it's just great that you've become a Christian. Like, 
I'm a Christian too, hooray, there's two of us, that's how exciting that is. And uh, to which uh, Rupert's friends just facepalmed and said to this guy, oh man, you're a Christian, and you, what? For years, I've been telling myself that if someone can be as nice and as gentle and kind and, and, and good as you and not be a Christian, then there's no reason for me to look into this Christianity business. Because if you're not a Christian and you're that great, then surely I don't need it. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you say something? And, I, and I, that story has stuck in my head because I do think, I see in myself, maybe you recognize it in yourself, that sometimes I like to think, or maybe more accurately, I like to hope that I won't need to t- actually tell people about Jesus. I kind of have this secret hope, I don't know whether you recognize it, that if only people just see enough signs of God sort of around my life, then at some point they'll work it out. And I don't know what's going to happen between there and, and then becoming a Christian, but it's just going to be, I see, and then they're going to follow Jesus. Maybe uh, the hope is that if we could live such standout lives like Daniel in chapter one, you know, really taking a stand, uh, holy lives, maybe, or or loving lives, then people will just see and work it out. Or maybe it's miracles, like in chapter two. We hope that, uh, you know, if if we could live a bit more like Daniel chapter two, maybe we saw a few more healings, maybe a, a few more crazy dreams we could interpret, then people would just go, Brilliant, and work it out. But it doesn't seem to be the way that it works. It doesn't. And actually, people need to be told. And that means we might need to speak. We might need to speak. And I kind of mention that because that is what Daniel does in these two chapters. If you kind of take a zoom out from the crazy story... (laughs) And you ask, what role does Daniel do? What function does he play in these two chapters? He is the mouthpiece of God to these two kings and to all of the advisors and to the nation. He speaks for God. And and he has become a herald of God's kingship to the king. So here's a proposition. Here's a thought. One of the reasons that you and I have been put where we have been put, with the families we're with, with the colleagues, with our neighbors, is to be a herald. It's one of the reasons God has got you where you are, to speak to people, those people, about God when nobody else will. So that's just going to leave that proposition hanging. It's probably not a new one for many of us, but it's good to be reminded. So what then are we supposed to say that's always a, a good question. Um, obviously here, God gives Daniel some pretty specific things to say, doesn't he, uh, to these two kings. And uh, I'm not suggesting that we copy and paste exactly what Daniel says to these two kings. Although I have contemplated uh, whether this would work, whether I could get a projector 
and shine the words Mene Mene Tekel Parsons through my window onto my neighbor's inside wall and then sprint round, knock on their door and ask if they understand it and then face the daunting task of trying to work my way from Daniel chapter uh, 5 to the gospel. But um, I sense that may not be the way to go. But nonetheless, just because, uh, just because we haven't kind of got that um, doesn't mean we don't have anything to take away from this passage or from the book of Daniel. Because in fact, in fact, all of the visions and all of the dreams and all of the prophecies in the book of Daniel have one central theme and one central message. They're slightly different, all of them, but there's one central message. And that is, it's this, that Yahweh is king. That the God of Israel, the king of heaven, is Lord of all. If, if you had to ask, what, what, is the, what is the message of Daniel? It, it is about the kingship of Yahweh. And I just want to draw out, I know we're kind of stepping back from these two passages, but um, we will have seen that this was the theme of these two passages. But I want to draw out three aspects of God's kingship, God's rule, that we find in the book of Daniel. And they're just really important to see. The first one is God's overruling God, God's rule on, on, on the, the grand scale um, the fact that Yahweh rules over all the kingdoms and all the nations and all the authorities of all earth over all history this is a major theme in Daniel last week if we were here we would have heard it in, in Daniel's prayer in chapter 2 you might remember these words praise be to the name of, of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And this week, in, in our passages as well, we see it again and again. Three times in verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 17, 25, and 35, Nebuchadnezzar says this refrain. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes. I mean, it just once you realize that that's what's being, that's the main point, and you reread those chapters, you'll see it's just, yep, there, and uh, there, and there, and is there any, it's just like, there's just bits of story between that line uh, in chapters four and five. And even if we move beyond these chapters into the crazy visions of chapter two, chapter seven, and onwards, again and again, we hear this language of divine permission, God gave this kingdom. God allowed this kingdom. And it's because God rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. A second aspect we see lots of in the book of Daniel is God's intimate ruling. The fact that he doesn't just rule over everything, but he rules in our lives personally. In our, in our chapters this evening, you know, God doesn't just kind of mastermind things from a distance. He's an active participant in this story. He steps in. He writes on a wall. He sends a vision. And of course, uh, there's that amazing line, which I really haven't been able to get out of my head since I've written this talk, which was in chapter 5, verse 23, where God says to Belshazzar, the king, verse 23, your problem, your mistake, was that you did not honor the God who holds in his hand 
your life and all your ways. You didn't honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. That's one, that's one for a postcard. That's one to have on your desk as you work. My God is the God who holds my life and all my ways in the palm of his hand. And of course, we see that this is something that Daniel knows the whole way through the book. He, has a, he knows a God who speaks. He knows a God who acts. He knows a God who delivers him personally. And the final aspect of God's kingship that we see uh, in the book of Daniel is God's coming rule, his coming kingdom. And we are kind of zooming out from, from our chapters tonight a bit. But in chapters 2 was that, and chapter 7, uh, Daniel uh, has visions of the future and about all the kingdoms of the earth. And both of them end with God's kingdom coming on earth. In chapter 2, Daniel sees a massive statue, a huge statue, with a head of gold, and then there are different metals all the way down, and each one represents a coming kingdom, uh, and uh, starting with Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and it's very impressive, and it represents altogether all the kingdoms of earth. And then, we're told, he sees a stone, a rock, not cut from human hands, not another human kingdom, come out and smash this statue to pieces, to dust. And then it, it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows until it fills the whole earth. And in chapter 7, chapter 7 is weird, man. It is weird. There are loads of beasts, different animals fighting each other, and it, it's like, what is going on? Well, actually, we're told what's going on. Each of these beasts represents, again, same idea, a different human kingdom, a different human uh, ruler and kingdom, and they go down through the ages. And we can get really confused and spend loads of time looking up in concordances, which one comes from which time, and this and that and this and that. But actually, that's not what it's about. It's a picture of all kingdoms, all human kingdoms. And again, that ends with this very similar picture. Verse 13, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days, that's God, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingship is one that will never be destroyed. And who is this rock, not cut from human hands, that destroys all the other kingdoms and grows to fill the earth. Who is this son of man who comes to inaugurate the coming kingdom of God? Well, we, we know the answer to that. <laughs> we've, been, we've been let in on that secret. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Or at least that's what Jesus thought. Because he called himself the rock. He called himself the cornerstone. And his most favorite, most favorite, I'm sure I'm going to be picked up about that. Um, his favorite title for himself was what? The Son of Man. Again and again and again, he calls himself the Son of Man. And most famously, he calls himself the Son of Man uh, at the end when he's at trial before the priest 
and all the other high priests and all the other priests, and they say to him this, they say, uh, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus replies, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He is directly connecting himself to this picture in the book of Daniel of God's king coming. And the priests know it because the next thing they say is blasphemy. That's what they put him to death for. That's what, that's what he's on trial for, claiming to be the coming king who will rule forever. And of course, what was Jesus' message when he toured Galilee and went around Judea? It was this. We know it. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If we're going to navigate, if we're going to learn to navigate and live well, live faithfully in a faithless society, first and foremost, we need to keep in mind, keep in heart the kingship of Jesus. You know, there are difficult questions for us to answer. They're not obvious answers. How, what do we do with politics? Where would you even begin trying to engage as a Christian with politics, trying to be a politician? Difficult, difficult question. How about work? You want to get involved in middle management. You want to start, you know, making rules for people who don't believe what you believe. That's complicated, difficult question. Um, You want to navigate the, the academic world and all the politics and all the ideology that comes with that. How do we do that as a Christian? Difficult question. As we begin to answer these questions, we mustn't forget these three things. Jesus rules over it all and them all. All of the institutions we engage in and work with, all of the bosses we have, all of the powers, all of the systems, none of them is there except by God's permission. Challenging, but true. And none of them is outside of his control. Number two, God rules your life and my life intimately. You know, we're not just in the future now. We're not just, you know, when we get to heaven. He rules now and he is able to speak and intervene and deliver. Like King Belshazzar, we cannot escape him. We cannot run away from him. He can bring us down. Like Daniel when we run to him, when we are faithful, he is able to deliver us in the midst of others who do not, who do not want the best for us, who don't want us to succeed. He can deliver us because Jesus rules intimately in our lives. And thirdly, Jesus is going to return to rule. There will be a day when his kingdom comes and it's going to be all-encompassing and it's going to be everlasting. And all other kingdoms and everything else we've done, is, they're gonna, it's going to be seen, it's going to be interpreted and weighed in the light of that eternal kingdom. So don't do anything you're going to regret. And in particular, don't give in to the pressure of one of those passing pretender human kingdoms. And many people around us shoving for power, telling us that, You know, I have the ultimate authority. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't live like that. Or you'll lose your job. Or you're this. Or you're that. Well, you might. But live for the kingdom that lasts. 
Three things to remember. So if we're going to learn to navigate, learn to live well in a faceless society, we're going to have to keep in mind the kingship of Jesus. But something more than that as well, we're going to need to learn to speak out about the kingship of Jesus. This is where it gets a little bit more scary. I recently, um, I mentioned this before, uh, I recently spent a week on placement in a church primary school, uh, as I had to do as part of my uh, curacy, and uh, it was fascinating, but it was also slightly uncomfortable at times, mainly because I was writing this talk, and so I was very much had this in mind as I was listening to various teachers, or Christian teachers, and various um, church workers coming in to kind of speak the gospel, which is a wonderful opportunity to these children in the school. And it was kind of painful to hear, um, you know, the whole sweep of the Bible and the whole story of the gospel reduced often just to one moment, the cross. I mean, I guess if you're going you're gonna to pick one thing to reduce it to, it's a good place to go. But it was kind of like, wow, all of this comes down to one moment. And then further to hear the cross reduced to kind of a sort of psychological, emotional thing. So it was kind of like, drum roll, children, the gospel is, you don't need to feel bad anymore. And because I was writing this talk, I was thinking, wow, what about, I don't know, the fact that Jesus defeated death and overthrew Satan, and no mention of the fact that he's ruling from the Father's right hand, and no mention of the fact that he's going to come again in power and glory and bring justice and raise the dead to life and recreate the cosmos and establish a new world order and rule the earth forever. And wow, it's like, wow, is that the whole story? Now, I'm not trying to actually be critical of those guys in, because what an amazing opportunity to be speaking the gospel for kids at school, hey? So I'm not, what really was painful was that It was a mirror to me. And I was thinking, gee whiz, how often is that where that's all I say there is to this story and to Jesus? It was uncomfortable listening because I had to ask myself, what do I say about Jesus? Because I find it challenging to to see that when Jesus talked about himself, he was unashamed to invoke all of this imagery from the book of Daniel, particularly the book of Daniel. He went to, he is the rock not cut from human hands coming to smash all kingdoms. He is the one who has been given all authority, glory, and sovereign power and will come on the clouds of heaven. And which Jesus are we really talking about when we tell our friends, neighbors, bosses about if we don't mention any of that? That's what's been challenging me as I've been preparing, thinking about this. Daniel understood, Daniel understood that God had placed him where he had placed him. God had given him the promotions that he'd got. God had protected him through the times he could have got fired or beheaded. God had given him the friends, the support, and put him where he was so that he could be a herald of God's kingdom and God's kingship where he was. So moving on from our earlier proposition, here's the even scarier thought. (laughs) Maybe we have been put where we are with the people we're with, the friends we're with, the family we're with, the bosses we're with, so that we can be a herald of God's kingdom and kingship, so that we can speak about Jesus' rule to those 
and no one else will say anything else about it. And if that makes us squirm a little bit, um, I'm encouraged to see that it made Daniel squirm as well. Um, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 19, we hear that when Daniel heard Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. And the king actually had to say to him, don't be, you know, don't, don't, don't let this alarm you. Tell me. I give you permission to tell me the message. But Daniel was afraid. Daniel was afraid to, speak, to tell the king that he wasn't really the king. I mean, who wants to hear that, right? And so I just want to encourage us, challenge us to share. We have to be willing to share a gospel like this. I don't think we're fake Christians if we gulp at the thought of this. Um, I don't think it's particularly easy. Um, you know, the, the message which we like to share, which is a good and let's keep sharing it, is that Jesus loves you. Isn't that a great message? It's absolutely true. No one's going to be really offended by that. And that's why it's great. Maybe it's a good place to start. But there is another part of this message about Jesus, which is that Jesus is king. And nobody really likes to hear that message. Nobody does. There's no nice way of saying it. Daniel's very tactful. But no one likes to hear, you aren't Lord of your life. No one likes to hear, look, you've been having a go at running your life and it's not going to work out. I'm sorry about that. And not only that, you need to get right with the king who is coming before his kingdom arrives. But that is, that is a hard pill to swallow, but it is true. And it is what people need to hear, as well as the rest of the message. And it is what Daniel is put here to do, and it is what Daniel is asked to tell these kings. Daniel doesn't know who will respond. Nebuchadnezzar, by the grace of God, he is praising God by the end of this story. He has said, wow, God, God is the king of kings. Belshazzar is not. That wasn't in Daniel's hands. But Daniel, Daniel was called to be a spokesperson for God. He started with setting in his own heart, chapter one, who was his king. He, number two, chapter two, he worked his way up to making space for God to work around him and then kind of point when God did it. But there came a time when God asked him to speak out about God's kingship and be a herald of his kingdom. So maybe God's put us where we are for the same reason. Right. Let me pray for us very briefly and then we're going to break up into groups and um, chat a bit about that. Lord Jesus, it is challenging to see how you connected yourself with this slightly stark vision of your ruling. But Lord, we, do, we know you. You know what kind of king you are. We know that you're also the king who gave yourself on the cross. You're also the king who uh, healed people, who loved and forgave people, who called um, people to, to life. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us as we chat about this, think about this, pray about what it means for where you've put us? But would you give us the courage to speak out when you ask us to speak out? And Lord, we do hasten your return. We do pray that you would come soon.
Amen.